What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So in this episode, I'm going to give a breakdown of some news across the MLB over the last 24 hours. I was going to include a lot of this in my last episode with the Red Sox, but I just decided to keep that episode about the Red Sox on its own, since I figured talking about the Red Sox probably should just be its own episode, considering it was 40 minutes. So in this episode, I'm going to start off talking about the Angels and the decision to not trade Shohei Otani. Then I'll dive into a trade the Angels made last night. Now they will be complete buyers at the deadline. I'll talk about the Dodgers, who actually just made a trade yesterday as well. I'll talk about how they performed recently in the series against the Texas Rangers and the Toronto Blue Jays. And then I'll talk about the Chicago White Sox and their downfall with them bracing to be major sellers at the trade deadline. So let's start off with the Angels. According to reports last night from Tom Verducci of Sports Illustrated, the Angels will not trade Shohei Otani at the trade deadline. He will be kept through the trade deadline as the Angels are going to brace for a potential postseason run and a postseason push. The Angels were supposedly underwhelmed at offers from other teams, and with them winning seven of the last ten games, they're still in the wild card race. I think they're four games back right now of the wild card in the American League. They're still in the mix there to make it into the postseason, and the way Artie Moreno and the Angels front office saw it, they said, why not go all in and try to make a run with Shohei Otani? And the reality of the situation is this. I said yesterday in an episode, if you trade Shohei Otani at the deadline, you don't get him back as a free agent. You're trading the rights to Shohei Otani forever. Even though the chances of the Angels re-signing Shohei right now are very minimal, probably 5 to 10%, I'd say. If you do trade him, he's not coming back no matter what. So you trade Shohei and your chances are 0% if he is dealt. So that's one part of the reason that I wanted the Angels to keep Shohei through the trade deadline. Another reason is because they've won seven of the last 10 games, and even though they have an easy schedule going into the trade deadline and things are going to get tough after the trade deadline, why not try with this team? Why not try with Shohei and Mike Trout just one last time? And now the Angels are going to look to be buyers at the trade deadline. So now it makes sense for them to go and buy. If you're going to keep Shohei past the trade deadline and not get back prospects in major league talent in return, Go and try to make a postseason run with this team with Mike Trout, hopefully coming back soon, and Shohei Otani. The Angels general manager, Perry Minazian, said, we're going to roll the dice. They're going to try to make a run. And they already started buying. Last night, trading for Lucas Giolito from the Chicago White Sox, they sent Edgar Caro, a second-ranked prospect in the Angels system, the 65th overall in MLB pipeline, and then a left-handed pitcher as well in Kai Bush, who is the third-ranked prospect in the Angels farm system, sending both of those players to the Chicago White Sox, and getting back in return Lucas Giolito, a right-handed pitcher, and then right-handed relief pitcher Reynaldo Lopez. Lopez on the year, 2-5 and five record with a 4-2-9 ERA, 4 saves, and a 1.31 whip. Last season, he was a lot better for the White Sox, owing to 2.76 ERA last season. Lopez has gotten better, though, in his last eight outings. His last eight appearances out of the bullpen, nine innings pitched, five hits allowed, no runs, 12 strikeouts, five walks, with a 156 batting average against him. Lopez and Giolito are both free agents at the end of the season. So the Angels trade for both these guys knowing they're probably just rentals and partly it's because they want to go all in with Shohei. And that's what I would do as well. That's what I would do as well. Because if you're still in the mix and only four games out of the wild card, it only makes sense to try to make a run with Shohei Otani on your roster and still have a chance at re-signing him at the end of the season as well. If you trade him, you're not getting him back in free agency. That's a big part of this situation that I don't think anybody talks about. I think everybody just looks at Shohei already being out of town, out of Anaheim, which, yeah, chances are he probably does leave. But there still is a small chance he goes back to the Angels. Maybe if they make a postseason run, he'll be happy and want to stay. You never know at the end of the day. So I think it was a good decision by the Angels to keep him and try to make a run in the postseason. They've won seven of the last ten games and are right now four games back of the last wild card in the AL. They're still in striking distance. Why not go and try? 
So you get back Lopez, and then you get back Giolito. Lopez, Giolito, both these guys are free agents at the end of the year. They're both rentals. The Angels know that. They just want to win. They're fine giving up their second and third best prospects just to try to make a run with this season's team. They gave up their second best prospect, who's 65th on MLB Pipeline, and their third best prospect, a catcher and a left-handed pitcher, to try to make this season be something of value. And I respect that. They just want to win. Just like I said in my last few episodes over the last week, it only makes sense for this Angels team to try to make a run with Shohei Otani when you're only four games out. If you're 10 games out, yeah, it'd probably make a little bit more sense to trade them. But when you're only four games back, I think it makes sense to try to make a run. They just want to win. And when you have a talent like Shohei Otani on your team, you always have a chance of winning. And the Angels have just been very unlucky with injuries, very unlucky with losing games over the past few seasons. They have a very talented team, and all the talent they've brought in over the last year has definitely helped them to be in the position where they're at right now, but they should be better than their record shows. But at least this season, they have a chance to make it to the postseason, and they deserve that. This fan base deserves it. And Giolito will definitely help out their pitching staff. 6-6 six and six record on the year with a 3.79 ERA, 131 strikeouts and 121 innings pitched with a 1.22 whip. His last outing was on Sunday versus the Minnesota Twins. He went five innings with six hits allowed, no runs, nine strikeouts, three walks, and a hit batsman. He will now be the number two guy in the Angels starting rotation next to Shohei Otani. So that's a great one-two punch between Otani and Giolito. Then after that, the Angels have Reed Detmers, Griffin Canning, and Patrick Sandoval. That's not a bad starting rotation there. That team is very capable. And then you also add a bullpen piece in Reynaldo Lopez, who's been very good over his last eight outings. A bullpen that has Carlos Estevez, who was an all-star close this year, even though he had a bad outing his last time out. Still an all-star closer for the Angels. And then Aaron Loop has looked good as of late as well for the Angels. They probably add even more, I'd imagine, at the trade deadline. But getting Giolito and Lopez to start is already a win in my eyes. The Angels today have a doubleheader against the Detroit Tigers, Otani will get the start in the 1 o'clock game. He is 8-5 on the year with a 3.71 ERA and a 1.12 whip. He will go up against Michael Lorenzen, who is 5-6 on the year with a 3.49 ERA and a 1.09 whip. Lorenzen is a free agent at the end of the season, so it could be his last start in Detroit. He'll be a trade commodity that a lot of teams will be interested in. After the series is over, the Angels will have a three-game series in Toronto. Before a challenging marathon in August that includes three games versus the Atlanta Braves, four games versus the Seattle Mariners, three games versus the San Francisco Giants, three versus Houston, three versus Texas, three versus Tampa Bay, three versus Cincinnati, three versus the Mets, and three versus the Phillies. That's a very tough stretch of 28 games there. I think if the Angels go 17-11 and 11 or 18-10 in those 28 games, that would be a huge win. And that might be wishful thinking, me just hoping that Shohei Otani and Mike Trout get a chance to get to the postseason. But if they go 18-10 in that stretch, they're very capable of making the postseason if they go 18-10 over that very challenging stretch of 28 games. And if they were to win, let's say 17 or 18 games, they'd have to win most of those series over that stretch of 28 games. So they'd have to win, let's say, 2-3 of three against Toronto, which I think is capable. I think they're capable of that. They'd have to probably take at least one of the three games versus the Atlanta Braves, a team that's been struggling as of late. I mean, Atlanta's 3-7 and seven in the last 10 games played. So the Angels could take advantage of them on Monday when they go play Atlanta. I believe the game will be at Atlanta. So the Braves will be the home team. So the Angels have to go to Atlanta. But if they take one of three in that series, that's still not too bad. If they go 3-3 three and three against the Toronto Blue Jays and the Atlanta Braves, that's not bad. Then they play Seattle. Let's say they take two against Seattle, split there, take two of three against the Giants, one of three against Houston, one of three against Texas, two of three against Tampa Bay, two of three versus Cincinnati, two of three against the Mets, and then two of three against the Phillies. That stretch right there is 17 wins. That would be a 17-11 and 11 stretch there for the Angels if they were to take 
all of those games in those series I just named. And in my last few episodes, I've talked about the Angels. Even when I was back in the studio a couple weeks ago, I thought the Angels should at least try and buy and make a run in the postseason, just like the Red Sox. And right now, the Angels are doing that. They're buying. And I respect them for doing it. They're trying to make a run, and I respect that. They're mortgaging their future, trading their second and third best prospects for right now to try to contend right now. They're in desperation, win-now mode. And in that situation, it can go one of two ways. You're successful and you make the playoffs and have the chance to make a run, or you fail miserably and miss the playoffs and lose future prospects. The way I see it, though, is that it takes guts to go all in. It takes guts to be in this position that the Angels are in right now and say, let's go all in. Let's trade our best prospects. Let's keep Otani, not get back a monster return. Let's try to gamble and see if we can keep him in free agency. And we're going to also gamble him just walking away for free and us getting nothing in return. And the Angels know that and they realize that. They have no option right now but to make it happen. And I'm going to create an analogy to the game of football here and talk about a situation that the Angels find themselves in right now that's relatable to the game of football. Since I love always comparing life situations to the game of football, I think football teaches a lot of lessons in life. It's pouring rain right now, fourth quarter, four seconds to go. The Angels are on the eight-yard line, fourth and goal, and have no option but to make a play. They're down by seven, four seconds on the clock. It's pouring rain. The quarterback's trying to tell the players what the play is. The play clock's running out. The quarterback's trying to listen to his headset, see what the play is. He just has to throw a play out there at the end of the day. You don't want the play clock to keep running. You have no timeouts left. You're going to further back if the play clock runs out and you get a delay a game. Pouring rain. There's all the pressure on the world right now on the quarterback, on the team to go and make a play, and you have to respond. Are you going to sink or are you going to swim? Are you going to succeed or are you going to fail? Are you going to take a shot or are you going to quit? The Angels have no option right now but to go and try to make something happen. It's all-in mode time right now in Anaheim. They're only four games back at the last wildcard spot in the American League, and you have a chance to get Zach Neto, Brandon Drury, Logan O'Hoppy, Mike Trout, and Anthony Rendon back healthy. Buy a few more pieces at the deadline and go and make a run. If they get those guys back healthy, which Zach Neto will be back very soon, I think he's coming back today, and hopefully get back Brandon Drury, Logan O'Hoppy, Mike Trout, and Rendon at some point by the end of the season, I think they end up as the last wildcard spot in the American League. I'm fine with saying that. And that's even with the Red Sox hopefully getting into. My ideal situation is the Red Sox got the second wildcard spot in the American League and the Angels got the third. I think Otani and Trout deserve more than anybody else in the game of baseball to feel what it's like to play a meaningful game in October. I think right now the Angels finish as the last wildcard spot in the American League. I might miss completely here, and that's fine with me. That's fine with me because I think this team deserves to win. I like the team's roster. I like what they brought in over the last year. And one interesting tweet I saw today was from Bob Nightingale, and he broke down all of Perry Manazian's additions and subtractions over the last year. From July 17th, 2022 to July 26th, 2023. Subtractions. Noah Syndergaard. Rizal Iglesias. Brandon Mosh. Edgar Caro, the second overall prospect in the Angels farm system and 65th overall on MLB Pipeline. And Kai Bush, left-handed pitcher, the third prospect in the Angels' farm system. So the Angels lost all those pieces over the last year. And what have they brought in since? Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, Mickey Moniak, Logan O'Hoppy. And then over the last few years, they drafted Zach Neto and Ben Joyce and brought them both up to the major leagues this season. So that's a very good group there of additions for the Angels this season. But Bob Nightingale didn't note that they also brought in Brandon Drury, Hunter Renfro, Gio Urshela, even though Urshela is out for the rest of the season. That was a good addition in the offseason by the Angels. And also Tyler Anderson. That's a good group there 
of guys that they've brought in over the last year. So credit to Manazian and what he's done with the Angels over the last season. This team is in a position right now to go and try to make a play. And as I said, it's fourth and goal right now for this Angels team. And the reason why I use the pressure analogy with Rain is because the Angels have all the pressure in the world right now to go and make a run. It takes guts to be in the position Manazian's in and say, let's go all in and buy. Because the Angels haven't really been buyers for years. They haven't been buyers at all. And that's because typically at this point in the season, they're 8-10 to 10 games out of the wild card and have no option but to sell at this point and get future assets. But that's not the case this season. This team is still in range and can still make the playoffs. So that's why I respect the decision to go all in and try to make a run this season. Why not try to make a run? And it's pouring rain, fourth and goal. They have to make a play. They have to make a play. And I think a lot of great things happen in the world of sports in this situation where your back's against the wall and you have no option but to respond and go and make something happen. It's fourth and goal, pouring rain. The Angels have to go and make something happen. This is the end of the road right here. The season is on the line, fourth and goal, and they have to go and get a touchdown to try to tie up the game and send the game to overtime. There's no option. Even with all the pressure in the world on the Angels right now, they don't have any excuses. This is a time where greatness has to happen. They have to go and make something happen, make a big move at the trade deadline. Still probably will add a piece or two before the trade deadline's over. Then they have to go on a great run over 28 tough games. They have a very challenging schedule after the trade deadline's over. They have no option in that 28-game stretch but to make a run. Do the unexpected. Nobody's giving them a chance to make the playoffs right now. It's probably a 15% chance in most people's eyes. I think they are very capable of being the last AL wildcard spot. And as of today, I'll have them as the last AL wildcard spot. That means the Red Sox have to be the second AL wildcard spot. And that means either Texas or the Houston Astros would have to miss the playoffs. Because the wildcards will be between the Rays and the Orioles will be one, and the other one will win the division. Then the same thing in the AL West. It'll probably be the Rangers winning the division. That means the Astros will have to miss the playoffs. If the Red Sox and Angels both want to make it in, like I want that to be the case, that means the wildcard teams would have to be the Orioles or the Rays, depending on who wins the division, and that would have to be the Red Sox and the Angels, meaning the Astros would have to miss the playoffs, which is probably unlikely, which is probably unlikely. That's just what I would like to see happen. But as of today, I would take the Angels as a playoff team. I think this team is going to go on a run and get hot. And as I said, a lot of greatness happens in these situations. When nobody's expecting you to make a run and you have no option but to say, let's go all in, put all the chips in the center and say, why not us? And that's what the Angels are doing right now. And it's a tough position to be in. I use the fourth and goal analogy just as a way to compare the Angels situation to the game of football. I mean, you can consider the Angels winning the World Series as a Hail Mary. I don't think making the playoffs is a Hail Mary for them. I think winning the World Series would be a Hail Mary at this point since they're not a playoff team right now. They're still four games out. But I think they're capable of making the playoffs. So I set it at fourth and goal because I think even though fourth and goal is still very close to the end zone being eight yards away, this still is a play that has to be made. There's still a clock running. The play clock's running. You only have four seconds after the clock. So, you know, it's just one last play in the game. Fourth and goal. So either way, I mean, if you miss it, the ball's turned over, even if there is a second left on the clock. And it's a game where you're trailing just like the Angels are right now. They have no option but to go out there and make something happen. And that's why I make the argument that a lot of great things in sports happen in this situation. When you're in a desperation win-down mode or a fourth and gotta have it, this is when a lot of greatness and a lot of legendary moments and a lot of beauty happens in the world of sports. And that's why I'm happy for this Angels team. They deserve a chance to go all in and try to make a run. Just like the star quarterback that's in the huddle on fourth and goal trying to tell the team in the huddle what the play is before the play clock runs out with the rain all coming down, they can't hear the headset, they don't know what to do in that situation. You have to take that hectic environment, lock in, 
be clutch, and go out and make a great play. That's what you have to do. You have to be legendary in that big moment as a stock quarterback in a big game on fourth and goal with the season on the line. And the Angels are fighting for their lives right now, too. They're in desperation win-now mode, and I think a lot of beauty happens in the world of sports. I've said now probably 25 times this episode, a lot of beauty in the world of sports happen when a team is in desperation mode and has to go make things happen. At the same time, there's a lot of feeling that that's at stake as well. You can miss miserably on fourth and goal. Just like the Angels right now could go all in right now and buy and sell all their top prospects and lose out. But at the same time, you will never know what your team is capable of like the Angels are right now if they don't go out and buy. If you stay in the middle and don't buy and don't sell, you never know how good you can be. Buying is buying into right now and trying to make a run in this current moment with this current team. You never know how good you can be with this current team if you don't go out and buy and try to get reinforcements and try to fix some holes in your team. Just like the reverse, selling. You never know how good you can be in the future if you decide to hold on to assets that you know are going to leave anyways in free agency. And if you're far out of the wild card right now, let's say with the St. Louis Cardinals, you never know how good you're going to be in the future because you decide to hold on to some of your current players that were on a meaningless team that you weren't going to re-sign and were going to leave anyways in free agency. You have two options. Win for the future or win for today. Don't be in the middle. And the Angels decided, let's choose to be all in right now and win today. And that's what I respect. Manazian, I give him all the credit in the world for making the decision to go all in. Why not? Why not at the end of the day? And according to reports this morning, Shohei Otani favored staying in Anaheim for the remainder of the season. He wanted to try to win with this Angels team. So we'll see what happens. They've won seven of the last 10 games, have a doubleheader versus Detroit today, Otani on the mound in game one, and then a very tough 28-game stretch starting with Toronto and ending up with Philadelphia at the end of August. We'll see what they can do. I think they go 17-11 over that stretch, and I am all in with this team trying to make a run. They need to get Zach Neto, Drury, Ohapi, Trout, and Rendon healthy. With all, those, with all those guys back, hopefully they can make a run. But with their current roster, they still are competitive. And even though they're winning against some weak teams, it's still hard to win a game of baseball in the major leagues. That's just the reality. And according to reports, the Angels are interested in Jamie Candelario, a corner infielder for the Washington Nationals. He's a free agent as well at year's end, just like Lopez and just like Giolito. That didn't stop the Angels from going and trading future prospects, top prospects in their farm system for Giolito and Lopez. We'll see if they go and get Candelario, who's got power. He's got 16 home runs on the season, a 256 batting average, 52 runs batted in, and 819 OPS in 29 doubles. One other piece of news in the world of the Angels today is that first baseman Jared Walsh was designated for assignment. Just one home run on the season, a 119 batting average with a 467 OPS, five runs batted in and only 67 at-bats. The last time he played in the major leagues was June 23rd. He's been in the minor leagues for the last month. He was an all-star in 2021 when he hit 29 home runs for the Angels with 98 runs batted in, a 277 batting average, and an 850 OPS. This season, he just fell out of the rotation and never really found his footing. Spent a lot of time in the minor leagues over the last month. So the Angels make the decision today to DFA him, and we'll see what his future holds. Now I'm going to move on and talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers, who just made a trade last night to get Ahmed Rosario, a shortstop from the Cleveland Guardians, in exchange for right-handed pitcher Noah Syndergaard. Rosario feels a need for the Dodgers in the middle infield, just like Kike Hernandez does. Now that opens up the opportunity for Mookie Betts to go and play right field, his natural position. Mookie Betts did play second base in the minor leagues, which was his natural position in the minors. But once he got to the major leagues, right field became his main position. He's played 942 games in right field. The next closest is center field at 223 games in center. And the next closest after that is second base at 62 games and then 16 games at shortstop. He's played 
a decent amount of games at second base this year, 32 games at second base and 16 games at shortstop. The Dodgers now acquire Kike Hernandez and Rosario to try to take up that second base at shortstop position so Mookie Betts can go back to right field and play his natural position. Rosario on the year, three home runs, 265 batting average, 40 runs batted in, nine stolen bases, and a 675 OPS. He hit second in the lineup for Cleveland just about all season, even though they've struggled to score runs. He stayed second in the lineup all year. He has started to heat up, though, as of late. He hit just 227 in April and 238 in March for a batting average, but at 309 in June and 291 in July with a 750 OPS in June and July. Since June 6th and 42 games played, he has a 314 batting average with a 784 OPS, two home runs, 11 doubles, two triples, and 27 runs batted in. He's getting better at the right time and getting back on track. So it's a pretty good addition there for the Dodgers. As for Noah Syndergaard, who they gave up, he's 1-4 on the year with a 7.16 ERA and a 1.446 whip. He has 38 strikeouts and 55 and a third innings pitched. And really struggled with the Dodgers this season. They really couldn't figure out his struggles. So he could be washed up, honestly, considering how good the Dodgers are at taking washed up commodities or players that are no longer what they used to be and making them turn back time. Syndergaard was not that, though. He had a 3.94 ERA and 24 starts last year between the Angels and the Phillies. But then came to the Dodgers this year and had a 7.16 ERA. So he really went back, actually, this season in L.A. But the Dodgers are well-known at taking washed-up commodities of players that are aggressing and making them turn back time. Ryan Brazier was shaky with the Red Sox the last couple seasons. He had a 5.78 ERA in 2022, a 7.29 ERA in 20 appearances in 2023, was DFA'd by the Red Sox, ended up with the Dodgers, and in 14 appearances in L.A., he has a 1.2 ERA with two earned runs, six hits allowed, 11 strikeouts to five walks and 15 innings pitched. Two earned runs, with 11 strikeouts and 15 innings pitched with a 1.2 ERA. He's been great for the Dodgers out of the bullpen. J.D. Martinez, another washed-up commodity people thought last season with the Red Sox. I don't think anybody saw J.D. doing what he's doing this season in L.A. J.D. on the year has 25 home runs, a 260 batting average, with 74 runs batted in, a 567 slugging percentage, and 877 OPS. Last season with the Red Sox, he had just 16 home runs all season. He has 25 this year. He has 74 runs batted in this year with the Dodgers. Only 62 last year with the Red Sox. This season in LA, a 567 slugging percentage. Last season, a 448 slugging percentage. An 877 OPS this year, a 790 OPS last year with the Red Sox. Last year, 16 home runs, 62 runs batted in, a 448 slugging, and a 790 OPS. And he's much better in all five of those categories this season with the Dodgers than he was last season with the Red Sox. He has nine more home runs this season in less games than he had last year with the Red Sox. 16 home runs last year with the Sox versus 25 this year with the Dodgers. This year, he's turned back time and is back to being one of the best sluggers in the game of baseball. His slugging percentage this year, J.D. Martinez, would be his best since the 2018 season where he finished fourth in the American League AL MVP vote. Fourth in the American League in AL MVP in 2018. His slugging percentage this year would be his best since that season. Jason Hayward, another player that was regressing over the last few seasons. Has 10 home runs this season with 26 runs batted in, a 253 batting average, and an 824 OPS. His 824 OPS would be the second best in his career in a full season since 2010. He has 10 home runs this season at 79 games. His last two years before this season, his last two years in Chicago, he played 152 games. He only had nine home runs. Here it is, 10 home runs this season in 79 games compared to nine in 152 games over the last two seasons in Chicago. So they just find ways to turn back time, the Dodgers. 
They really do. I don't know if it's analytics. I don't know if it's film. I don't know if it's mechanics. But they find ways to get plays back on track and back to producing like they used to three or four years ago for J.D. Martinez. And the same for Ryan Brazier. Now he's effective out of the bullpen like he was in 2018 for the Red Sox. So now I'm going to look at how the Dodgers performed over the last two series. With this last weekend against the Texas Rangers, they took two or three in that series against the Rangers, including two blowout wins over Texas. They were up 4-0 in Game 3, almost close to sweeping Texas in the series, but ended up losing that game in Game 3, 8-4. In Game 1, the Dodgers got the win 11-5. Freddie Freeman was an on-base machine in the game, 2-4 at the plate with three runs scored, three runs batted in, a home run, a double, two walks. And also two strikeups in the game. Mookie Betts was one for four with two runs scored, two RBIs, a double, and two walks. In game two, the Dodgers blew out the Rangers 16 to three. 18 hits for LA in this game. They scored 10 runs by the fourth inning. Freddie Freeman had another big game, four for five with three runs scored, three runs batted in, and two home runs. Max Muncy was three for five with four runs scored, two runs batted in, a home run, a double, a walk, and a strikeout. And then David Peralta, another player that's been performing really well this season for the Dodgers, a guy that was kind of washed up over the last couple seasons, had a very good game in this blowout win over the Rangers. He was four for five with a run scored, two runs batted in, and two doubles. On the season, Peralta's hitting 277 with a 728 OPS and seven home runs. He had 12 home runs all last season in 134 games. He's already got seven this season in 83 games. Having a better season this year average-wise, he hit 251 as a whole last season and is already at 277 this season. So he's having a better year this year for average than he did last year. So another guy that the Dodgers have helped get back on track this season. In this 16-3 blowout loss, Dane Dunning got the start for Texas, giving up Five earned runs and three innings pitched to go along with seven hits allowed, one strikeout, two walks, and two home runs allowed. Bobby Miller got the start for the Dodgers. He was very good on the mound. Six innings pitched, giving up seven hits, three earned runs, a home run, six strikeouts, and no walks. Then in Game 3, the Dodgers were up 4 to nothing after grand slam for Max Muntz in the first inning, but did not score after that, losing 8-4 to four in the game, giving up eight consecutive runs to the Rangers. Martin Perez got the start for Texas. He went six innings, giving up six hits, four runs, a home run, six strikeouts with two walks. Emmett Sheehan, former BC pitcher, was hit hard by the Blue Jays in this game. He went three and two-thirds innings, giving up eight hits, eight earned runs, four strikeouts with five walks, and had 90 pitches. His ERA is up to 6.75 on the year, but he's very young. Definitely will adjust. It's only his first few starts in the major leagues. He just came up in the last month, so he'll get back on track. I still have confidence in him. He's still a young player, and he'll, he'll adjust and learn. Then Toronto played the Dodgers for a three-game set in L.A., where the Dodgers ended up only winning one of three games in this series, losing two of three here to the Blue Jays. The Dodgers had a comeback win on Tuesday, which was a walk-off win, where they trailed by four runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. They won with a James Oatman double in the bottom of the tenth inning. It was ruled a home run at first, but after review, it was ruled a double, but they ended up winning the game anyways with Chris Taylor scoring the game-winning run. James Oatman in this game was three for three, with the run scored, an RBI, a stolen base, a double, and two walks. He was 5-5 five five on base. Julio Urias was on the mound for the Dodgers, and he looked a lot better this time around. Six innings, giving up eight hits, three earned runs, five strikeouts, and two walks. Bo Bichette was 4-6 for six in this game for Toronto, with a run scored, two runs batted in, a home run, and a double. The last nine games for Freddie Freeman have been terrific, just like the entire season has been for Freeman. He's hitting 460 in his last nine games. He's 17-37 in those nine games with four home runs, eight runs batted in, three doubles, a triple, and seven strikeouts with six walks. On the season, Freeman's hitting 328 for an average with a 989 OPS, 21 home runs, and 71 runs batted in. 
The Dodgers have today off, so they'll get some time to rest. They're currently tied for the fifth-best record in the major leagues at 58-43 at this point in the season. They're 19-11 in the last 30 games played, which is second-best in the major leagues. They're tied with the Astros at 19-11 over the last 30 games. And one interesting thing I just noticed when I was listening back to some old episodes today was that in an episode on June 26th, so a month and a day ago from today, I talked about the struggles of four World Series preseason favorites going into the season. And I asked myself in that moment on June 26th, who do I have the most confidence in to turn things around? Between the Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, and Mets. Three of those teams, the Yankees, Dodgers, and Astros at this time on on June 26th, were all in third place in their respective divisions and were at least four and a half games back of first place in their divisions. The Yankees were 10 and a half games back of Tampa Bay at this point. The Astros were six and a half games back of the Rangers. And the Dodgers were four and a half games back of Arizona. All three teams at this point were sitting at 39 wins. The Dodgers were 39 and 33. The Yankees were 39 and 33. And the Astros were 39 and 34. And I said that I had the most confidence in the Dodgers to turn things around and then the Astros. And what is the case now? The Dodgers at that point, when I recorded this episode, are four and a half games back of the Diamondbacks. They are now first in the NL West and are four games ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Dodgers sit at 58-43, first in the NL West. The Astros, 58-45 they are right now, and two games back of Texas, when they were six and a half games back of Texas on June 26th. The Yankees, 54-48, eight games back of Tampa Bay at this point of the season. When I recorded that last episode on June 26th about them, they were ten and a half games back. So they've improved two and a half games, and obviously Tampa Bay's struggles have definitely helped them get back in the race a little bit. The Red Sox, the same thing. They're back in the race as well because of how poor Tampa Bay's been as of late. Then the Mets. They were 34-38 and 38 and 12 games back of Atlanta when I recorded that episode on June 26th. They're currently 47-54, so seven games under 500 rather than four games under 500 like they were a month ago, and they're 17 and a half games back of Atlanta, so five and a half games back more than they were on June 26th. So it made sense that I said I thought the Dodgers would turn things around. I had the most confidence in them, and then Houston, and that's the case right now. The Dodgers turned things around, and they're four games ahead of Arizona, and the Astros are only two games back right now of Texas for the AL West lead. So we'll see what happens. The Dodgers now open up a six-game stretch at home with three games versus Cincinnati and three games versus Oakland. And then as for the Astros, they just got back Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve. Altuve was 0-3 last night in his first game back since July 3rd. And then Alvarez was 1-2 with a double and a walk in his first game back since June 8th. Alvarez has 17 home runs on the season with 55 runs batted in, a 593 slugging percentage, and a 987 OPS in just 58 games. 17 home runs in 58 games is very impressive. It's tough for Houston that he was hurt midway through the season, but now he's back in their lineup. Houston did lose last night 13-5 to Texas, but they did take 2-3 of three in that series against the Rangers. The Astros are now 7-3 in their last 10 games and now open up a three-game series against Tampa Bay. And with the trade deadline coming on Monday, it brings into question, what are the Houston Astros going to do? Are they going to buy big? which I think they're going to do. I think they're going to go out and get a big starting pitcher, maybe Marcus Stroman, maybe that second-tier starting pitcher is available like Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery. They're going to go out and try to make a move. That's the reality situation. They're going to go and try to get pitching. That's why my prediction right now to get the Astros out of the playoffs to get the Angels and the Red Sox in, that's probably going to be hard to see happen. I think the Red Sox get in right now. I'd say the Red Sox have a better chance than the Angels, but I would like to see the Angels in the playoffs. And I always said this episode, I'd take the Angels in the playoffs right now to make the wild card. They do have a tough 28-game stretch there in August, but my heart just wants me to say the Angels will make it in just like the Red Sox. So I'm just going to stay with that. I'm going to stay with the Angels and Red Sox making it in, meaning Houston, Tampa Bay, Texas, or Baltimore would have to miss the playoffs. 
because two of those teams are going to be the division winners, one will be the other wild card, and that means there'll be one team left out that would have to miss the playoffs. Maybe the Red Sox are a game in or a game out, like I predicted at the beginning of the season. Are the Angels in the playoffs in my original predictions? So we'll see if that's the case. Are the Angels in the playoffs in my original predictions at the start of the season? We'll see if they make the playoffs. I thought the Angels could have made the ALCS in my original predictions. Now, if they just make the playoffs, that'd be a big win. Even with buying big, making it in with four games out is still tough. But the reality situation is, I think it's a right decision for the Angels to go out and buy. Why not at this point? Why not? So now to conclude the episode, I'm going to look at the Chicago White Sox and their current roster team that's going to be broken up heavily this trade deadline. They're going to completely rip it up and be big sellers. And if you look at their roster, I mean, their starting lineup, it's pretty good. I mean, this is a team with... Yasmani Grandal, Tim Anderson, Andrew Benintendi, Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez, Elvis Andrews, Andrew Vaughn, and then a pitching staff that includes Lucas G. Lito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Mike Clevenger, and Kendall Graveman, along with Liam Hendricks and Joe Kelly. It just brings into question, how is this team struggling as much as they are right now? How? And obviously, injuries are part of the case. Obviously, I mean, Mike Clevage is hurt right now. Liam Hendricks has obviously been dealing with issues off the field with cancer. And now he's been back, though, which is obviously great to see. But he's obviously been something that the White Sox have been missing all season. And then Aloy Jimenez has missed some games, along with Tim Anderson missing some games. They did lose Jose Abreu in free agency. That's obviously a big loss in their lineup. They miss him heavily, as you can tell, with their starting lineup. And then just some guys aren't performing like they typically do. I mean, Andrew Benintendi's hitting 284. That's the best batting average on the team, which is great. Aloy Jimenez is hitting 286, but in less games than Benintendi has. So Jimenez has the best batting average than Benintendi. But after that, Tim Anderson's hitting only 245 on the season. Luis Robert hitting 269, which is pretty good for him. He's got 28 home runs. He's been one of the best power hitters in the game of baseball this year. Jake Berger's at 22 home runs. He's been very good this season as well. But if you look at it, their pitching staff, which should be better, they have a lot of talent has not done as well as you would expect. Lance Lynn has a 6.47 ERA. Cease, 4.04 ERA. Kopech, 4.44 ERA. Giolito, 3.79 ERA. Just got traded to the Angels. Mike Clevenger, 3.88 ERA. I mean, this is a team that has so much talent, and they've struggled all season. They're 41-62, and and that's in the worst division in the game of baseball. The AL Central, the worst division in the game of baseball, and they've struggled this much. I'm not really too sure what went wrong with this White Sox team, but I think it's the best decision for them to completely rip it up. Their downfall this season has just proven that they should rip it up and send away all their expiring contracts, get future assets to build for the future. If you can't compete in the AL Central right now, especially with that roster, rip it up and just restart, start over and build for the next couple seasons. If you can't compete with that pitching staff and all that talent in their lineup like Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Andrew Benatendi and Tim Anderson, it is the best decision to trade those pieces like Yasmani Grandal, like Tim Anderson, and try to build for the future and get assets back that you can build around two to three years from now. We'll see what they do at the trade deadline, but I think that team should be a major seller at the deadline, just like I think the St. Louis Cardinals should be a major seller at the deadline, and maybe the Chicago Cubs. We'll see what they do with Cody Bellinger. Now they're talking that they could try to extend them, but I think they ultimately end up trading him at the deadline anyways. But we'll see what happens there. I think the Yankees should be sellers at the deadline. What do I think they're going to do? I think they're going to be buyers, but I would be a seller if I was in the Yankees' front office. I think the Red Sox and the Angels should be buyers right now. Even though it's re- unrealistic to see both of those teams get in, I'm going to have my predictions both teams getting in there because I'm a fan of both teams. I would love to see Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in the playoffs. And I think this Red Sox team with Trevor Story, Chris Sale, Tana Hoke, and Garrett Whitlock coming back, I think this team is very capable of making a run in the postseason. Why not the Red Sox? Why not the Red Sox? 
So we'll see what happens at the trade deadline. I'm sure I'm going to record in the next day or so. It's been a busy last day or two of recording for me. Obviously, I recorded an episode yesterday and have already two episodes today. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed them. This will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.